Excellent. Thanks, Matt. Thanks so much. Good morning, Northwest. It's wonderful to be back together, isn't it? It's always good to get together and to worship God as one. Um, I, uh, I'm excited to be uh, finishing off our second month of our topic about walking with God. And uh, it's, I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Next month, we're actually going to be talking about uh, it's, uh, 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 you're going to be talking about a topic that is uh, a very str- uh, a strange topic to, I think, most Christians. We're going to be talking about evangelism. Imagine the shock that we're going to be going through when we're talking about evangelism, which is just telling other people about how God loves them. Uh, but I'm excited about next month. I really am. But today, we're going to be finishing off with uh, talking about uh, walking with God. If you don't mind, I'm actually just going to take a second to uh, 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 publicly thank somebody who is not here right now, but uh, just, just the last couple of days, I've been feeling God speaking to me about, <clears throat> about uh, saying thank you to someone who has been a massive influence in my life, and it's actually to uh, the Reverend Ted Collington. Now, most of you will never have heard of him, but he was actually a gentleman who had a massive influence in my life for the love of the Bible, for the love of theology. He used to actually teach uh, at a Bible school in, or run a Bible school in my father's church when I was young. And I used to love going and listening to uh, his teachings and uh, just how he used to just open up the Word of God uh, through theology. So he's now actually down in Brazil with his family uh, and their missionaries down there. I'm, I'm, you must be in your 70s or 80s, Ted. I, I, I don't really know, but... Uh, you're fighting fit, you're a young man as ever, but I just wanted to say publicly uh, how much you've had an influence in my life and how much you planted a love and a passion for the Word of God when I was just a teenager. And uh, it changed the path and the direction that I took because I'm right here on stage talking about the Word of God. So thank you so much for everything you've given to me and hopefully you're watching this today uh, and uh, being a part of the the service. And for all of you who are also streaming online uh, online right now, around the world. We want to welcome you as well and uh, tell you how uh, grateful we are for you to be a part. If you would like to have prayer, please log into the chat box and let us know that you are uh, uh, watching today. But please tell us what, you're, what you need prayer for because there are so many amongst us who need prayer. And believe it or not, your names are on the list of a prayer list that goes around the church. And there are so many people that pray for you all the time. And if your name's not on that list, we would love for your name to be on that list because we do believe in a good God. We do believe in a God who answers prayer. So even if you're here sitting today and you would like to have your name on that list, tell your, group, your cell group leader and uh, get the word out there that you need prayer. Today we're going to continue talking about walking with God and we're going to talk about, we're going to ask the question of who is in control of this walk? Because it takes two, it takes two baby, it takes two to walk along. If one of the, one person is dragging the other person, that's called dragging, that's not called walking. If the other pair, one person is pushing and directing what the other person is doing, that's called pushing and directing. But when you're walking with someone, you're choosing to walk together at the same pace. You're choosing to talk to each other and to communicate with each other. And today what I want to talk about is I want to look at the controls of this walk. Who directs this walk? Uh, Who takes over the walk? Who takes over the direction of of the walk at what time? It'd be easy to say that only God controls the walk. 
that we have with him. But the fact is, I believe that there are other things that control our walk with God. And I wanna look at Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses one to 14. My apologies, it says one to four, but it's not, it's one to 14. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. Who would ever have thought there would be a time to hate? A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the, heart, in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. I wanna look at the first verse because we've looked at the, we've, we, we've read a very poetic list of uh, a perspective of life. We know that there are downs and there is ups. There are valleys and there are peaks. There are, there are failures and there are uh, uh, um, victories in life. We know there is good sides and there is bad sides. But I believe that the first verse sums up so much about life. And it says this, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. When it says time and it says season, it didn't decide to use the word time twice or season twice, but it used two different words there. And the first word that we're looking at here is time. Time basically is a duration of time. It's a beginning and an end. It is, a, 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 we even have a time of day when you're scheduling in your Google calendar, you have a time of day. You know when the beginning is and when the end is. You have a time of the week. You have, it starts on a certain day and it ends on another day. We have a time in our calendars as well where it begins in January and ends in December. But the other word here that's used is called season. And this word season is only used twice in the Bible. And then one time that it is used, it's used right here in a very meaningful way. Season means this, an appointed occasion. That means something that is a, 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 a kind of time, a kind of moment in history, an occasion that doesn't necessarily have a specific beginning or a specific end. It's an occasion in your life, but more than that, it's appointed, meaning that someone has put it there on purpose. 
Now, when we're looking at uh, talking about who is in control of our life, it's, it's easy to decide that we have entire control. And there's many schools of thought that believes that we control everything. We choose our destinies. We choose every choice. And everything that happens in our life is our fault. It's our choice. And there's another school of thought that says that there is nothing that we have control of. We're like a boat on the ocean where we are rowing and rowing and it doesn't matter what choose, what direction you choose to take. Everything is decided for you. I think that's a little too fatalistic. I believe it's a combination of two different things. It's combo number five. In Proverbs 16 verse nine, it says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. If we are walking with God, it's not something where we are forced to walk with God. And neither is it something where we just choose every day how we shall walk with God. But there is an agreement that goes on. Just like in a marriage, there is an agreement to actually have a marriage. You might be, you might be uh, united together, but it doesn't mean you're unified. It doesn't mean you're walking as one. It's like taking two cats, stringing their tails together, putting them over a clothesline. They might be united, but I can tell you what, they're not unified, right? That's what marriages can be like. And I think it's the same with our walk with God is that we have to learn how to be unified with Him, how to walk alongside Him, how to be in a relationship. When we walk with God, He is doing something and we are doing something. So let's look at the different things that control our lives, that affect our lives. And I want to ask the question of who controls what and who controls what and who controls when in our lives. And we're gonna be looking at three different things. We're gonna be looking at what God controls, what I control, and what other things control us. Let me say again, we're gonna be looking at what God controls, what I control, and the things outside of us that control us. So here we go, number one. This is the first one we're gonna look at. The things that God controls, these are what I'm gonna call cycles and seasons, seasons and cycles. Now we know in life, that most things in the world are actually in some sort of cycle, they're in some sort of season. Everything has a season. Some of them are observable and some of them are barely observable. We know that things that are observable are things like the calendar. It starts in January and it ends in December. We know that the moon actually has a cycle as well, where it has a full moon and it has a half moon, it has a quarter moon, and when it's on full moon, your children go all crazy and they won't go to sleep at night, am I right? We know that it's a cycle that's going on. In fact, in Scotland, we have a phrase when someone's a little crazy, we say that they're tuned to the moon. Is that right, Paul? They're tuned to the moon, meaning that they're a little crazy, there must be a full moon, and they've dialed into the craziness of the moon. It's that cycle thing that's going on. We know that there are seasons. We know that there are ages, that you have an age when you're young and you're little, and then you're a teenager and you're middle age, and then you're old. There's a whole season of life and we can see the change going on. We know that there are monthly things that go on. There is like a time of the month, right? I think I should move on. <laughs> Men have a time of the month as far as I'm concerned, right? I know I do. I have my grumpy time of the month, right? Is that right? Amen, hallelujah, thank you Jesus, okay. So we know it, we just know it. Something's just not on, something's not happening today and I'm just gonna be grumpy today, right? I don't know what it is, but I believe that our bodies have cycles. We also have political seasons. God save us all. 
Oh, we know it because all these commercials come on TV and all the yard signs start popping up. I don't even have to put it in my calendar. I know it's political season already. We can see these things. They're, they go in cycles. But I believe there's also barely observable seasons in our life too, where if you look at a coastline, I believe a coastline can ebb and flow. It goes through seasons, but I don't stand there and watch it. I can barely see it. We know that we have ages or seasons in the earth. We even have hot seasons in the earth. We even have ice ages in the, in the earth. I've never actually seen any of them. I've never been able to observe any of them, but we know through evidence of science, there are seasons that the earth goes through. So we know that these things are set in place. Let's talk about the word season. How many seasons are in a year? Thank you, you said four. I put my two fingers up there just to see if anyone would shout two, but it's four seasons, right? Four seasons. Now, if you're a farmer, is anyone a farmer? Has anyone sowed seed before? Anyone like farming, putting seed in the ground and sees things growing? All right, no, we all love just going to Publix, okay, and buying the food, right? In first service, it's like we had all these guys that love to sow their food and stuff like that in the ground, right? Um, uh, but, but farmers, at least in, 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 uh, in Scotland, we know that there's only one season in the year that you can actually sow seed. How many seasons in the year can you sow seed? How many? You don't want to go for the fall for this trick anymore, do you? You can actually sow seed four times a year, but there's only one season that will be productive. Now, if you don't time it right, you can sow your seed too early, and if you sow your seed too early, the, 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 the fruit or the harvest won't actually develop properly. Or you can sow your seed too late, and before it actually starts to bloom or starts to go through fruition, a cold snap can come in and destroy your crops. Farmers know that there is timing within seasons. And one of the things that I've noticed with us as humans and, and what I find is when we walk in life and, and maybe it's because we're so used to having anything we want, any type of vegetable, any type of fruit, any type of produce from the store whenever we want because we know that they'll find a way to get it to us. But the fact is, everything is in a season and if we knew how to grow our own vegetables, we'd probably understand that there is a time when things should die. There is a time when you should go through difficult times and things are not going to be all pretty and happy and dancing all the time. The problem I think that we have is that we often demand that everything must be productive in our lives constantly. Today, everything must be productive. This week, everything must be productive. This, this, this week, this year, this part of my life, everything must be fruitful. My job is not doing well. My business isn't growing. My, my friendships, my relationships aren't growing. The things that I had dreamed of haven't come to pass and we demand that they must be fruitful. And the fact is, maybe they shouldn't be. Maybe that business shouldn't have taken off yet. Why? Because you're not in the season of productivity yet. Here's the interesting thing. There's one season to sow. There's one season to reap. There's other two seasons in between. And one of them is the season of dying. I think as Christians, we have to start learning the seasons of time because God has set these things in place. How should we respond to the things that God only controls? This is how we respond. We should understand, we should study, and we should watch, not demand, not manipulate, not force, not scream and shout because it's not going my way, but we should understand the fact that these things are coming and they're passing. 
I think sometimes what happens is it's in the season of difficulty that God often wants us to teach, wants us to learn something new. He wants us to learn something new through difficult times. And when we kick and scream and say, I don't wanna go through this season, I want it to be over and done with, God will sometimes go, okay, let's make it over and done with. I'll just keep it for next year. Why? Because it always comes around in a cycle. He is happy for you to go through the same difficult thing over and over again until you get and learn and receive what you need to receive in that season. Can I hear a thank you, Jesus, for that? In 1 Chronicles verses, uh, chapter 12, verse 32, it lists, it lists all the different tribes in Israel and it says each and every skill that each of those tribes have. And it says the men and the people of Issachar it said that they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. When I was about 13 years old, I read this and I took it, in, I took it to heart and I said to God, I want to understand the times. I want to know, I want to have this gift. This is the gift that I envy, that I desire, that I will learn to know how to embrace times when they're difficult and embrace times when they're, when they're easy, knowing fine well that these things are going to come whether I like it or not. When I'm, uh, uh, a while ago, has anyone ever been to Epcot? You ever been to Epcot at Disney? And you know the Norway thing that they've got there and they've got a little kind of wooden church structure right there? Have you been in there? Right? And they've got these mannequins that are, that are indigenous people that are standing you know, all dressed up and it gives you history about them. And I actually decided to look up uh, all about these people. They're called the Sami, the S-A-M-I, the Sami. And uh, when I looked into it, it was quite, it's quite amazing because they live in the very north part in the Arctic Circle, Norway. And, um, and uh, three quarters of the year, the land is just covered in snow. And in the worst part of the winter, they only have maybe about three hours of sunshine. What are you gonna do with the rest of the day, right? And I'm thinking, they must be going out of their freaking minds in the winter, going, what are we gonna do? We're all stuck in and we're getting cabin fever. What they have done is they have learned to adapt to the winter. They've learned how to just accept the fact that they're gonna be indoors for much of the winter that they'll take the three hours that they've got and they'll do the best with it and the other uh, amount of hours that they've got that it's in the darkness, they'll work with it and they've learned how to embrace the winter. They've, been, they've learned how to just write songs in the winter, how to actually tell stories, how to make their culture where they are embracing the winter. There's a lesson that we've got to learn from this, that we have to learn how to be able to embrace all things that God has given to us. Because it says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. There are things that God control. And number two, there are things that we control. I'm gonna call it choices and habits. Choices and habits, habits mean this. Habit is a learned behavior or a loose garment worn by a member of religious order. A habit is a learned behavior or a loose garment worn by a member of religious order. It basically means this, your habit identifies who you are. And the habit can identify who you are as a person. Now you can say, I'm not lazy but you never clean your room or you never clean your house or you never uh, add to the upkeep of the house. And you can say, I'm not lazy, but your habits speak of something else, right? All the parents are looking at their children right now. I told you so, right? And a habit, 
identifies who you are. A habit can even be identified in a family. Apparently, when I sit, I, I always... I always like Ben. I always put my leg over like that. I always cross my legs like this, right? Right now, if you've just tuned in, it looks like I need the toilet right now, right? But if you're crossing your legs like that, and apparently my son does the same thing. I hadn't noticed it until someone had pointed out, your son crosses his legs in the exact same way. Habits are something that are, that are things that you do, that you do by choice or you do by mimicking. You are following something, but it's still under your control. A habit is something that can identify you, your family, or even your people group. What I wanna talk about is the process of habits. A process of a habit is a habit is always birthed out of what we call a cue, something that births that habit, that creates or kicks in that habit to happen and then creates a result after that you have actually gone through that habit. Let me give you an example of a bad example and a good example. If you were uh, growing up in a family where you were uh, very aware of how poor you were or you went through poverty and you had that shame still kind of buried in your heart of what you came from, it's easy to have learned habits that try to supersede or get rid of that emotion so you don't feel it anymore. Then you do something in order to try and get rid of that emotion and feel something different. It's easy, especially if it comes to money, to identify these types of habits because either the pendulum swings to one side where you become a miserly Scrooge where you're keeping control of every penny or it swings to the other side where you'll spend every penny in order to try and get rid of that emotion. And the result is this, that if you become a miserly Scrooge, the result can be that you chase away the relationships of the people that are in your life because they're sick and tired of how tight you are and how ungenerous you are. Or you become such a spender that your spouse or your family gets sick and tired of how much debt you're in. And debt is the result of emotional spending habits that have come from some deep-seated emotion inside that make you feel like you are not worth it. That's called a cue that leads to a habit that leads to a different result. Let me give you a good example. A good example could be this. And maybe you're a business person and you're very well ordered. And you know that tomorrow you have a business meeting and you're gonna to have to turn up and you're gonna to have to sell your product to that client and you're gonna to have to do a home run. And to make sure that you're on your game, tonight you're gonna to go home, you're gonna make sure you're showered, you are well-shaved, men or women, you're well-shaved, um, you are prepared, you have your clothes ironed and cleaned and ready, you're mentally prepared, you're physically prepared, you get up the next day, you go to the business meeting and you give your best. What is that? The cue is, I have an obstacle, I have a challenge for me. The cue is, uh, is going to spark a habit that you're going to kick into and you're going to get this habit to get right and to get yourself prepared so that you have the best and the right results on Monday morning. Habits are things we control. Successful people have highly developed routines. This applies to the spiritual, to the relational, to the financial, and even to your health. How should we respond to all the things that we control? We respond by this way, through action and discipline. Through action and discipline. Ecclesiastes 3.22 says this, so I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy, that's a choice, than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. That means that is their control. That is what they have dominion over. 
So we choose our response to whatever situation we're in. Even if the seasons have changed, even if you're going through a season of difficulty, you have a choice in life of how you're gonna respond to the situation. Do you respond through complaint? Do you respond by saying, I'm not good enough? Or do you respond by saying, God, I will have a good attitude and in each circumstance that I find myself, I shall praise your name. Your response is to do all things and enjoy it as best as you can. So let's look at the last one here, the third one. The third one is cravings and addictions, the things that control us. Now possibly some of you may think that I should add a fourth one on here about bosses or spouses or family or politicians, people outside of us that can control us. But I say this, I take all of those people and I put them under God because God has allowed every one of them to have an effect on my life. God has allowed every one of them to have some control in my life. If he didn't want them to have a control in my life, he could snap his fingers, clap his hands, and be done with it. He has allowed those people to keep existing in my life, so they're in the category of things that God controls. What I wanna talk about is cravings and addictions that we can't easily control. (coughs) Excuse me. The Bible calls these temptations. In Matthew 6, verse 13, it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus knew what the burden of temptations were. He knew exactly what it's like. Even Jesus, we talk about the serpent in the Garden of Eden and how the serpent tempted Adam and Eve. But Jesus even went through the same thing that when he was in the desert for 40 days before he started his ministry, it says that he was tempted by the evil one. He was tested by the spirit, but he was tempted by the evil one. Many might say this, and I've heard people say, when someone's going through an addiction, they'll say you just have to choose to get over it. You have to just choose to get out of that addiction. But I've seen addictions In fact, I call addictions demons, whether they're physically or actually demons. What I do know of this is that the enemy knows how to connect his work to your weakness. He knows how to undermine what your weakness is. And I believe that when it comes down to uh, uh, just making a choice about addictions, it's not just a power that you can control. It's not just a a thing that you choose to overcome because temptations and addictions can overcome you, which is why the second part of this verse is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why are those two things in the same sentence? Because Jesus knew that those two things are connected together. Evil is is talking about the serpent, the evil one, the devil, the one that would look to undermine you. But the temptation is the thing that you have a part of yourself, is your weakness that undermines you. We have an adversary who knows our weaknesses. Years ago, I was speaking to uh, one of my mentors in my life who came and visited us here for a week. He comes from London, he's now passed away. And I spent some time with him when he was here for a week and I remember asking him a question. He's one of the giants of the faith as far as I'm concerned. His name was John Barr. I remember asking him over lunch one day, I said, John, can I ask you a really odd question? I'm gonna ask you this question. You're like a giant of the faith. Everyone thinks of you as a wise man and you're a holy man and all these wonderful things, but surely you have a problem with sin just as much as I have a problem with sin. How do I know that? Because you're human and I'm human. My question is this, John, how do you deal with sin? And he said, you're asking the wrong question. 
If I could deal with sin, I don't need Jesus. If I could deal with sin, I could, I could walk away from the cross. I don't need the cross. He said, the fact is, it's the cross that deals with my sin. The real question you need to ask is, how do I deal with temptation? He said, your problem is not sin. Your problem is temptation. God knows what your weakness is. The devil even knows what your weakness is. We talked about it last week. It says that God said he would predict that, that the devil would take a hold of our heel like he's tying our laces that we can't properly walk with God, that he would undermine us by telling us that God doesn't love us, that he's lying to us, that he wants to keep good things from us. And these are just fundamentally the enemy playing on our weaknesses. So I said, so how do you deal with temptation? He said this, if you have a problem with gambling, don't go to Las Vegas for a vacation. If you have a problem with alcoholism, don't go to the bar for lunch. If you have a problem with arguing, stop getting into politics. <laughs> if you have a problem with depression, stop hanging out by yourself all the time. He said, recognize what your weakness is and then ask God to help you to walk away from that weakness, to be far away as possible. How do we respond to the difficulties in life? This is how we respond. We walk with God. You see, the cross of Christ is for your sin, but your walk with God is for your temptations. My biggest problem in my life is when I'm not walking with God, I'm in a conversation with the serpent. I'm in a conversation with a voice of criticism in my own head that the serpent helps along and starts to encourage. This is why I come to church every week. It's not just because I teach, because I work here, because I'm a part of the church. It's because I need this in my life. I know my weakness. I know that I have the temptation of the, of the sin of abdication. I know I have the temptation of self-criticism. I know I have the temptation of laziness. I know I have the temptation in my life of actually being at odds with my wife. I have all those things in my life. The reason why I walk with God is so that conversation doesn't overcome my mind and overcome my life. I need to be in a conversation with God every day, walking with Him and asking Him what is right, what is good. In fact, it says in Psalm 27, 11, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Every day, I have to choose to go for a walk with God. Even if you have ever been to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, if you've got a, an addiction of alcoholism, if you go there, they will tell you every day, every week, that you must submit yourself to a higher power. That you cannot overcome many of these addictions and these temptations simply by a choice that you make every day. You make the choice and then you submit yourself to a higher power in order to overcome the very things that will undermine you. There are three ways that your life is controlled. One is God. He does control many things in your life. The second one is the choices that you make. You do make choices. You do have habits. And whether you actively choose them or you just go into autopilot and choose them every time, you're still making those choices. 
But the third one is you have to admit and you have to accept is that you have sin that easily besets you is what the Bible says. You have habits, you have temptations, you have things that overcome you and you need to choose to fashion your life to run away from those things, to be as far away from those things as possible lest you be tempted and fall and stumble all over again like Adam and Eve did. If Adam and Eve, who were in a perfect world, couldn't maintain themselves outside of a walk with God, what makes you think you're gonna do it? I wanna look at the story of Noah, just as we're ending here. I love this story. It's an interesting story. We know the story of Noah and how he was called to carry the animals on the ark. He built this massive ark and he carried these animals on the ark as God was going to be bringing his judgment of cleaning the earth of all the sin that was on the earth. I can't imagine the burden that was on his shoulders to make this happen. And we know that when the floods came, most people believe that he was at sea for 40 days and 40 nights. It doesn't say that. It says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. But he was in the ark for 378 days. That's a long time to be stuck in a room with a really stinky animal, right? and a whole ark full of them. But it says after 150 days, it says that the flood started to abate, which means they started to recede. And the ark came to settle on the mountains in Ararat. Does that mean that all the floods went away? No, they were receding and he could feel it. He could feel that there was a change that was in the air. He could feel that there was an end that was coming. And it would be easy for us to just go, well, the end is here. It's, we're all finished. We're now finished with this season. Let's open up the doors and fling wide the, the doors and get out of this ark. Let's move on to the next part of life. But he didn't. It says that he waited another 40 days and he sought God to try and understand the seasons and the times. Now, I want you to think about this because it would be as simple of him just saying, God, what should I do? And God tells him, just wait, or yes, now's the time. It'd be easy for him to predict what God should say, or even God just to say something. Listen, this is the man who heard a word from God to build the biggest ship you've ever seen, right? This is the man who saw the supernatural power of God help him build a ship. This is the man who saw the supernatural power of God literally bringing animals in in pairs into the air. He's seen every miracle. He saw a cataclysmic flood that covered the air. He's seen some of the most amazing miracles that happened in his life and still he had to test what season he was in. And what he did was he took a raven and he put it up. And he watched the raven just go back and forward, back and forward, and the raven came back. So then he took a dove and he put the dove back up and the dove went out and it flew away and it came back at the end of the day and he took a dove and then he waited one week. And after a week, he took that dove again and he put it up in the sky and the dove went away and it says, and by evening the dove came back with a little olive branch in its beak and today we even use that symbol for the sign of peace. I believe it's like the UN or something, NATO. And he took a dove and he saw that there was a twig and that was another sign that God's blessing and peace and hope was coming to him. But he didn't leave yet. And he waited another week. And then he took a dove again and he put it up and he waited for a day or two and he noticed the dove didn't come back. So then he waited another 60 days. And after 60 days, he could tell that the floods were starting to recede and he opened up the top and he looked out. And then he closed it and he went back in and he waited for God to speak. 
And when God spoke, he said, now is the time for your family to come out. And he moved from the season of being in a vessel of salvation through difficult times into the season of fruitfulness. But even as he was going from one season to the next, even though he had heard and seen God move, he still used the things that were around him to test the seasons. I want to encourage you right now that whatever season you're in, it's okay for you to test the season. Just don't take it personally when it doesn't go your way. Just don't decide to tell God what he needs to do at what time. Just don't decide to interpret what God wants to do. If you're not doing it now, God, then something's up. There's a problem with you. What are you doing, God? Why are you waiting? No, let God control the day when he will change your season and you keep testing, testing, testing. Use the things that are in your hands. Use the things that are around you and test it, test it, test it. Get out of the conversation with that critical voice of the serpent and get into a conversation with God and test the season you're in and expect that the day will come when God will make all things new. The amazing thing is, is that when God let them out, he said this one last thing to them and he said, never again shall I change the seasons and the times. You will always be able to predict when things will change. Thanks be to God that God has done away with cataclysmic things that would destroy your life. He has brought us salvation. He has brought us to the seasons of life. He has given us the opportunity to know that things will die, that things will spring up, that things will be fruitful. There will be seasons when it will ebb and it'll be a season when it will flow. It'll be a season when it dies. It'll be a season when it grows. There'll be a time for, for seeding. There'll be a time for growing. There'll be a time for, for, for reaping. There'll be a time for planting and for dying. Which season are you in right now? How are you responding? It's time for you to respond with a little bit more grace today, allowing God to be in control of whatever it is he's gonna do, but you be entirely in control of your response, of your attitude, of your emotions, taking into account that maybe you've got some weaknesses that need help from God. That's okay, that's what he's there for. Father, we want to be like Noah. We want to see you use us for great things, for great salvation for other people. We want to see you move on this earth and we get to be a part of your great plan. We want to be a part of what you're calling us to do. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for demanding that you should hurry up. Forgive us, Father, for trying to speed things up and demanding fruitfulness when that shouldn't happen. Father, we ask that you would help us to become people of Issachar who know how to read the signs and read the times, who know how to wait and receive your timing in everything. God, we want to be wise as we walk with you day by day because when you make everything happen, you make all things beautiful in the right time, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11. Father, we just wanna come here today and we just wanna simply say we choose to trust you again. We trust you today. We trust you wherever, whatever's happening and wherever we are with whatever relationships we have, we trust you again today. We trust you with our spouse. We trust you with our bank account. We trust you with our house. We trust you with our ministry. 
We trust you with our neighbours. We trust you with this country. Forgive us, Lord, for scaring other people with premonitions and, and predictions of how everything's going to fall apart when the fact is it's all in your hands. We trust you, Lord. We trust you with what's going on. Help us, Lord, to respond accordingly in each season that we're in. We ask for your blessing today in your precious son's name. May God bless you. May he keep you. And may he make his face shine upon you. I hope you have an awesome rest of the day. Have a great day.